Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's V-I dot com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. I'm Brett Winterbull, and you're listening to Devious Motives. It is the Devious Motives podcast. This is uh, 15 days until the election. That makes this uh, Devious Motives number 17. It's unbelievable how quickly all of this is happening, how quickly it is all moving. But it's uh, super important to understand the stakes of this election have have never been higher. And we are going to continue to document it every day till the election. I want to uh, dive into an area that we haven't really gone into uh, yet, and it's an important area, and it's one that uh, I think we, we ought to be focusing on, and it's this. China is on fire, and I don't mean that in a good way. I mean China is on fire in a very bad way. China is on fire uh, to such a degree that they are, uh, they are running well ahead of the United States in terms of economic growth, and all of the international press that's talking about China is hitting the same point over and over and over again, and it's this. China has overcome the COVID. Now, that to me is interesting. I think they had like a 4% growth rate in September. And uh, all the all the, uh, the wizards of smart CNN, National Public Radio, all those folks are out there bragging about the fact that China has somehow overcome the COVID. They've, they've defeated the COVID. The COVID is a thing in the past. So why is the rest of the world being hit so hard? And I think this is a hugely important point. And let me just say this to the to the president, to the president's allies, to the folks on that end of, of, the, of the fight. Um, b- bail out on the QAnon stuff. Bail out on the bin Laden didn't really get killed nonsense. Focus on China. China needs to be the central focus of this election for the next two weeks. And, and what needs to happen is this. The president needs to tie Hunter and Joe Biden to China. Uh, the president needs to tie our big tech companies, Apple, Google, Twitter, Facebook, etc., to China. You need to create in the voter's mind that you are being targeted, you are being taken out because you don't play the game with China. You've actually played China in, in a very hard way. You've gone at them. You've, you've pummeled them. Uh, in fact, even Chris Cuomo has let the PRC off the hook 
Chris Cuomo was on with Stephanie Rule. I didn't know who to feel worse for in that uh, interview uh, iteration. Steph Rule's pretty dense. Chris Cuomo is positively, um, well, you know, he, he's, he's sort of the, the living embodiment of the infinite monkey theorem. Uh, but, but when you look at, uh, did I say Chris Cuomo? I meant Andrew Cuomo. Well, they're both bad. Andrew Cuomo is really the proof of the infinite monkey theorem. But my point is this. You had him go on with the, uh, the person uh, who is the early morning host of Stephanie Rule on MSNBC, and he keeps doing the same thing where he's lying to the world. He goes, it's not a China virus. It's a European virus that hit us. And then he goes on to say that, well, of course, the European infections came because the Chinese went to Europe and spread the infection. Newt Gingrich told us about that on Good Friday back in, uh, in, in March and April. And Newt Gingrich told us on my show, I had him on from, from, from the Vatican, from Rome, where uh, his wife is the ambassador to, to the Vatican. And, and, and Newt Gingrich said unabashedly, a couple of hundred thousand Chinese people w- were flown into Europe on holiday, vacation, on business, and they brought with them the coronavirus. Uh, Tom Cotton, a senator from Arkansas, super smart guy, said, you know, six, eight weeks ago, look, the reality is China knew that they had a coronavirus. They were going to make sure the rest of the world got it because they were not going to be left behind economically. So the president of the United States needs to focus on China. China's the culprit. The reason why you have an economic shutdown brought to you by uh, loser governors like Cooper and Whitmer and Newsom and Cuomo and Pritzker and go down the list the reason why you have all these shutdowns is because of what China did to the United States, a biological Pearl Harbor attack. And I will say that every day until the election comes. It's what happened. They had a duty to report. They had a duty to explain. And now when you've got 148, 160 countries around the world that are suffering the ravages of this Chinese flu, this Chinese virus, and it went unchecked for the majority of its earliest points. You got a major problem on your hands. And it's, it's, this is not hard to understand. This is really easy to understand. In fact, I am going to go all the way back a year. I'm going to go back to October to now. And in fact, I'm going to call an audible right here, right now on this program. I'm not taking a break. I'm not taking a break uh, at the midpoint of this show. I'm just going to go for the full 30 straight through. We'll do like 29 and a half minutes of content straight. But I want to go back in time because it was a year ago about now that Adam Schiff, Eric Charamella, Vindman and company, and I did this on Saturday. I did this on the Saturday show, if you missed it. They got together and concocted a narrative of Ukrainian corruption being a component of the Trump administration. And that... The president uh, got together with uh, the, the, the new president of uh, China, of China, of Ukraine, Zelensky, and, and got him on the phone and said, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look into what Hunter Biden and Joe Biden did uh, over there with Burisma. He could have saved himself the entire impeachment and just hung back and dropped this, uh, this laptop uh, onto the... Uh, under the world stage as part of the election, but but instead he went for it. Adam Schiff had weaselly little spies embedded in the State Department and in the CIA and in the defense uh, arm of our government and ensured that the complaint got filed so that President Trump looked like he was leveraging 
blackmail against the new president of Ukraine. And that immediately became the predicate when the Robert Mueller investigation collapsed and failed because Robert Mueller was clearly in cognitive decline. And Andrew Weissman was running the show and writing the report. And all Mueller was supposed to do was come out and 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 read it uh, as it was written and prepared. When all that happens, when all that goes down the way it does, you have yourself a major problem on your hands because the president gets jacked up into this impeachment narrative, this insane impeachment narrative that was a partisan impeachment, by the way, meaning the Democrats impeached, the Republicans in the Senate acquitted. The Democrats impeached, the Republicans acquitted. And at that moment in time, that trial, that Senate trial, which took place in January, just when the COVID was exploding in China, distracted American policymakers and the American news media in its entirety. Unless we go the other way, unless we we are, are confident in saying the American news media was complicit in the cover up of this from China. And I think it's entirely possible that that is the case. So you go from October into November. Uh, you, you had a, a payoff. You had a soft soaping of the most radical fringe wings of the Democratic Party all coming together. Sheeta Tlaib, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, uh, Jamie Raskin, Val Demings. Go through the list, man. Remember all the impeachers. Jerry the Nads Nadler, Adam Schiff. All of that. And Adam Schiff, in fact, created a false narrative of what was in this phone conversation between the president and Zelensky. But I digress. All this is happening, all this storm and fury marching up into into October and then into November and then into the holidays, because so desperate was Pelosi to ruin your holidays that they pushed through the impeachment after sitting on it for like three weeks. Then they transmitted it to McConnell. The entire Senate shut down. The entire House shut down as Adam Schiff pimped and preened and strutted and danced seductively for the news media to push this message that the president had done a dirty deal with uh, with Zelensky over in Russia. The American people watched this. Once we got and we made that turn into January, once we made that turn, and it was apparent that there was going to be no conviction. And this president was not going to be mortally wounded. This president was not going to be humbled. Just when that happened, remember, it was October the 16th, 2019, the very last time Nancy Pelosi ever speaks to the president of the United States. They have not spoken since October 16, 2019. So flinty, so nasty, so brittle is Speaker Pelosi. She of the... Uh, magical entry to the salon in San Francisco to get her hair did. So flinty is she that she hasn't talked to the president since that day in October of 2019. She decided at that moment impeachment's happening. I'm pushing impeachment. We're throwing this guy out. And somehow she was convinced that they would do it. She was convinced that, oh, you know what? We, we can totally impeach this president. The president can be removed, and then all of our troubles are, are out the door. Well, actually, had you been successful at removing the president, convincing the Senate to throw him out, you would have had President Pence taking on VP Joe Biden and Cammy, And that would have been a brutal fight. That would have been a brutal fight for Biden and company. Because Pence is a lot of things. But you know what Pence comes off as? Eminently reasonable and efficient to the average observer. Joe Biden comes off as a walking, talking, sputtering, gaftastic machine. 
But let me go back to this timeline. So then you have the acquittal of the president on pretty much all the charges, but for Mitt Romney's half a vote to, to remove. You have the president of the United States deliver the State of the Union address, and you have the Speaker of the House tearing up the official transmittal sheet, the official parchment document that the president brought to give to her as a part of the federal archives of the United States government. And the flinty little Speaker of the House tears it up at the end of his speech. Wasn't that something? What did that tell you about the condition of the country at that point? Did that tell you that these were mature adults running the country? Did that look to you like somebody who who was completely in control of their faculties, tearing up the parchment copy of, of, of the State of the Union address? Of course not. Had there been any adults in the caucus, the Democratic caucus in the House of Representatives, the next day she would have been censured or there would have been a motion to vacate the chair. And you would be better off having literally anybody else in that seat. You could have Clyburn in that seat. You, you could have uh, uh, Steny Hoyer in that seat. You could have any of these people in that seat. She is an incompetent. And so as COVID begins to become a serious matter, what does Pelosi do? What does uh, Andrew Cuomo do? What does Bill de Blasio do? They do what they're best at. They propagandize. They come out and they say, everything is grand. Come on down. Come on to Chinatown. Grab some dim sun with Nancy. There's, there's Bill de Blasio, all nine foot six of him, walking around like a giant in, in New York City saying, come on to the village. Let's go down to the village. Let's experience the magic of the village. And what happened was the COVID continued to spread. And we remember what happened with, with Andrew Cuomo. Uh, we remember what happened when he took people who were seriously ill and, and put them in nursing homes with the elderly. We remember what happened when he took these terribly ill COVID patients and put them in with the most vulnerable people you could, the elderly those with memory care issues, those in long-term living facilities. And he brought that COVID in to that operation, and he ended up killing 6,000 people. He did. And, and I know there are people out there saying, well, Brett, that's, that's, not a, uh, that's, not a fair, that's not a fair narrative to drop, that he killed 6,000 people. 6,000 people perished because of Andrew Cuomo's executive order to take COVID patients and put them in with the elderly in nursing homes. Osama bin Laden killed 3,000 people on September the 11th. Andrew Cuomo killed 6,000 people through his incompetence and arrogance. He appealed to the president during this period of time as the COVID crisis got worse. You never heard, though, from Andy Cuomo, uh, uh, you never heard from Andy Cuomo that there was any need to, to shut down the flights. In fact, Joe Biden back in the day said, uh, that's, uh, that's xenophobia. You're afraid of China. You're a racist, Mr. President. You don't want to see Chinese people coming into the United States. And the president and his administration said, well, actually, uh, no, Joe. No, no, Joe, we don't want to see people who are infected coming into the United States carrying with them a dangerous plague that, that's going to be coming in. And still the narrative and the lies continued and moved on. And as we, as we moved further and further into January and then into February, 
Uh, I would arrive in, in Charlotte uh, in mid-February after doing a number of uh, fill-in shifts uh, uh, for WBT Radio uh, right here on this platform that you listen to, the radio.com, the Devious um, uh, Motives uh, podcast. Uh, I, I, I moved to, to Charlotte to take up residency uh, at that radio station, replacing the legendary John Hancock, who had been in that seat for decades. And, and as we watched the story start to form and mount, what we saw was something incredible. What we saw um, institutions, uh, higher learning institutions like Harvard University and, and other uh, colleges decide we're going to start shutting things down. We're going to shut down school. We're going to shut down learning. We're going to go to a virtual model. We're going to cancel the, uh, the big uh, March Madness event that would be coming up. And, and we're going to cancel the tournaments that will feed into the March Madness event. And as we watched all this, Sort of, uh, sort of unfold, it became very serious very quickly, and we understood that COVID was a real issue. It was going to be a very serious issue. And unfortunately, in the same way that you have a, a bureaucratic incompetency, a built-in bureaucratic incompetency in the intelligence community, in parts of the defense, uh, the defense agencies, you saw the exact same thing in the public health service. For the better part of 75 years, the progressives have told you that they know best when it comes to managing government. They, they told you the best and the brightest go into government. The best and the brightest went in with Kennedy and uh, they, they understood what that meant and how significant that was and what was happening because these were the best and the brightest. I, I will send the word forth from this time and place. I will acknowledge that many smart people came into government to work under uh, J JFK, but it's important to understand those were warriors who won World War II. Th these were not the little passion fruit flowers that are running Twitter and the millennials of today who would have tried to understand Herr Hitler and, and try to accommodate Japanese militarism and ask, what's so wrong with Benito Mussolini's vision? And by the way, we love Stalin. The, the, these best and brightest that were advertised in the wake of the World War II effort to defeat actual fascism, not an American president that's described as a fascist by the intellectually lazy and adulpated, but, but instead, these were actually heroic people who fought the good fight to liberate Europe from under the boot heel of national socialism. So yes, there were best and there were brightest uh, individuals who were in the Kennedy administration. I'll grant you that, but they made some really bad decisions that gave you Vietnam, that gave you Richard Nixon, that gave you the Cold War, and eventually brought about Ronald Reagan to break the back of the Soviet Union. So let's, let's remember that since FDR was president, we were going to have a national health care system. We, we were going to have a... Uh, uh, we, we were going to have a, a better health care system, universal health care that can take care of everybody for any reason that you, 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 you just you come right to the government and we will we will make you feel better. Where was that awesome, awesome, powerful, competent health care system during the COVID-19? Anybody know? I mean, Andy Cuomo was on TV every day telling goofy stories about Matilda, his mother, and his brother, and, 
and, and saying, we need to have the ventilators. We need the ventilators. We need 50,000 ventilators and a hospital ship. And we need to have the Jacob Javits Center converted into a hospital, a field hospital. And what did the president do? He gave them the ventilators and he gave them the hospital ship and he gave them the, uh, the Javits Center. And what did Cuomo do? He didn't use any of it. He didn't use any of it. And, and it was because that very institution that has been reviled for the last 40 and 50 years by the progressives, the big drug companies, the insurance companies, the people who are responsible for killing sick people, they, 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 they had their comeuppance because you could see that public health mitigation efforts were being relatively effective. You could see that the president was well in command with his four-hour press conferences every night. You could see all of that. All of it was present. It was on your television every day, starting at 11 o'clock with Andy Cuomo and closing out at 5 and 6 o'clock at night with President Trump. And, and, and still, they're saying the president didn't do enough to stop the COVID. It wasn't the president's responsibility to stop the COVID. See, had, had you political hacks not distracted America from the threats around the world, from the threat coming in from China, had you not done those things, had you, have you not done those things, we might have had a better handle on it. Had you not, in a weird passion play move by, by Adam Schiff to go and try to impeach the president, had none of that happened, had none of that happened, you might have had people alive. See, the Boston Globe, three days after September the 11th, ran an op-ed piece. It, it, was, it, was, it was written as a news story, but it was essentially an op-ed piece about a symposium that took place at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government three days after September the 11th, maybe 10 days. And at the symposium at Harvard University, at the KSG, the Kennedy School of Government, the symposium addressed a central question still remaining in the wake of what happened on September the 11th. And the topic was this. What did the United States do to make the Muslim world so angry that we would have a September 11th attack on our soil? What did we do to deserve the attack? It was the Boston Globe. It was Harvard University. Surely we must have done something to anger Al-Qaeda. Surely we must have done something to... And that was a 100% incorrect assertion. 100% incorrect. Progressives almost always get the security picture wrong. They, they felt like if you cut a deal with Joseph Stalin at Yalta, uh, FDR was confident that, that we could reason with with Marshal Stalin and uh, explain that we're going to have competing spheres of influence in Eastern and Western Europe as a result of, of the conflagration that was World War II. And it was Winston Churchill who was complaining and telling you 
that you can't cut a deal with Stalin. Stalin's a bad person. Stalin's a dangerous person. But the progressives said, no, we can, we can do it. And the reason why they were so confident that they could do it is because they had people like the treasonous Harry Dexter White, who, who worked in the Treasury Department, but was right down the hall from, from Franklin Roosevelt and had profound influence on President Roosevelt when it came to the creation of the United Nations and different sorts of uh, accommodations that were going to occur after the end of the war. Harry Dexter White had been a Soviet mole, a KGB mole, for the better part of 15, 20 years. And it, it affected American foreign policy. If you don't believe me, look it up. Harry Dexter White. He was a spy for the Soviets. The progressives believe that you can trust Every bad foreign actor, you can trust every person out there around the world. Of course, you can trust the Pakistanis. Of course, you can trust the Iranians. Of course, you can trust the Syrians. Of course, you can trust these people. But you can't trust American industry and business. See, see on the sliding scale of criminology, for lack of a better word, on that sliding scale... American corporate interests are the absolute worst, worse even than ISIS, worse than the Communist Party of China, worse than Xi Jinping, worse than Maduro, worse than the Castro brothers. And time and time again, there's an important message here, folks, as, as we are 14 days, 15, 14 days before this election. The world is governed by bad people. Bad people control the world. There is no foreign leader that has American interests front of mind save for the american president depending on who it is do you recall when barack obama was on the campaign trail in 2008 and declared that there was going to be a fundamental transformation of america he wanted to represent a fundamental transformation of the united states of america what do you think you have now in 2020 when you've empowered newsom Inslee, brown those those governors on the West Coast, who have accommodated rioters. What, what do you think you have when you have governors like the character in Nevada, like J.B. Pritzker in Illinois, like the governor of Massachusetts, the governor of New York, the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, the governor of Maryland, a Republican Larry Hogan. What do you think you have in Roy Cooper? You have people that don't trust the American people. You have people that don't much like the American people. You're not going to make your decisions about when we reopen. We're going to reopen when Joe Biden wins or Donald Trump leaves. It's the governing mentality. It's the theory of the case right now. I'm not saying anything that's controversial. You think Whitmer wants to open her government up? She keeps getting overturned in the Supreme Court. In Michigan, and she keeps complaining that, that, well, well, we're going to need to 8645. Did you see the sign behind her over the weekend? 8645. People are looking at it and they're like, what is that? The number of days that somebody uh, spent in prison? Is that their prison number? No, 8645. You got to get rid of 45. That's what that was. And, and so the, the whole purpose of me giving you this big tour. Uh, mixing the last year with the last 70 years is that if you're in a world filled with bad neighborhoods, you need somebody who's willing to take the stand for you. 
You don't need somebody who is looking to take the bribe, who is looking to get bought. See, see we, we went down this road once upon a time. The progressives are so excited to always talk about Alexander Hamilton. Why do they never want to speak of Benedict Arnold and, and Major General Andre? Why, why, why do you think that is, folks? Why do you think that is? Because, because power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And what you've watched play out for this past year is what has set us up to this moment. What started with impeachment over a fictitious cause became a pandemic with very real life danger, led to rioting in the streets, the ascendancy of Black Lives Matter during shutdowns, Antifa's rise, and now within two weeks of the election, you see that this may go very, very badly, very, very quickly. You have a right to know if your president is on the take from the Chinese Communist Party. And if your president's son has asked to be paid on behalf of his father. Politics is a dirty game. The world is a dangerous place. But the important thing to remember is that America is a very, very special place, providentially protected for the time being, and it's literally one vote away from losing what it is. We should remember that. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.